0: Welcome to our Sunday morning service. We're glad to have you join with us. It's a joy to gather around the Word of God with all of you, whether you're joining us in person or by way of the Internet. Don't forget today's Father's Day. This is a day when we show special honor to our fathers. For all those fathers that are here and those watching our live stream, I want to wish you a happy Father's Day. And for those whose fathers are alive and available today, let me encourage you to get a hold of them and wish them a happy Father's Day and maybe even do something special for them today. We're glad to be back to our normal schedule here at First Baptist Church and uh This Wednesday night, we'll go back to having our Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study in the building. encourage you to come be a part of that. And of course, we're having all three of our services on Sundays here in our building. We do ask if you're planning on joining us on Sunday morning, that you give us a call by Friday and let us know uh, so we can arrange seating that maintains social distancing. And we're trying to cooperate with you on that situation, and that would be a great help to us. Father's Day. I came across something the other day, and it was seven things you'll never hear a dad say, and I wanted to share these with you. Seven things you'll never hear a dad say. How about this one? Well, how about that? I'm lost. Looks like we'll have to stop and ask for directions. (laughs) Or this, you know, pumpkin, now that you're 13, you're ready for unchaperoned car dates. You never hear that out of a dad's mouth. I notice that all your friends have certain rebellious attitudes. Boy, do I like that. here's a credit card and the keys to my new car. Go crazy. How about this one? Your mother and I are going away for a weekend. You might want to consider throwing a party. No son of mine is going to live under my roof without an earring. Now quit your belly aching and let's go to Piercing Pagoda. I love this one. What do you want to go and get a job for? I make plenty of money for you to spend. And then I came across this little story about a little girl and her parents were sitting around the the table eating supper. And the little girl said, Daddy, you're the boss, aren't you? And her daddy smiled, very pleased. And he said, well, yes, I am, honey. The little girl continued, that's because mommy put you in charge, right? <laughs> well, let's go back to James chapter 4. I want to look at the first 10 verses. I want you to follow along with me. From whence come wars and fightings among you, come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not; ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the Scripture saith in vain? The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted. And mourn and weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Let's pray. Father, thank you once again for opportunity to preach your word. We know your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We know your word can reach where nobody else can reach, and we thank you that your word is so powerful. Now as it's preached, I pray that it would do its work in hearts and lives. Convict us, convince us, show us what needs to be changed in our lives. And I pray that we would have receptive hearts, that we would be receptive to what you want to do in us and with us. As you speak to us through your Holy Spirit, might we be obedient Christians. And then I do pray, if there's any in the sound of my voice that aren't saved, That today would be that day when they come to Christ and know Christ. The best decision they'll ever make in their life is to come to Christ and know him. I pray now you give me strength of voice and clarity of thought. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Titled this, Intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. In verse 8 of our text, James says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Once again, today we celebrate Father's Day. All across America today, dads will receive gifts, be treated to dinner, or have special dinner made for them, and just be treated special in many ways. Phone calls will be made from faraway places. Cards will come in the mail, all to wish Dad a happy Father's Day. And what a blessing it is to a father to be remembered on Father's Day. Tragically, there are many fathers who will not be acknowledged by their children today. These fathers, for a myriad of reasons, are estranged from their children. While they are their children's father, there is no intimacy, there is no closeness between them. In some instances, the children desire a close relationship, but the father's not willing. In other cases, the father desires a close relationship, but the children are unwilling. In either case, it's a sad and tragic situation. Ironically, a similar situation exists spiritually and a lot of Christians' lives. All who are saved are now the children of God. James 1, or John 1, verse 12 tells us, but as many as received him, to them he gave you the power to become the sons of God, even them that believe on his name. So if you're saved, we know that he is now our heavenly father. When we got born again, we were born into his family. However, not all of God's children have a close and intimate relationship with him. Many are distant and estranged from him. He is their heavenly father, but in name only. In our text for today, James reveals who is at fault for that kind of a situation. In verse 8, we find a promise from God. And that promise is this, that if we will draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to us. James reveals that God is wanting a close, intimate relationship with each of his children. God stands ready and God stands willing to have that kind of relationship. All it takes for us to have that relationship is for us to draw nigh to God, to strive to be close to him. However, I believe there are many who really don't know how to draw nigh to God how to cultivate a close, intimate relationship with him. This morning, I want to share with you some things that will cause each of us to draw nigh to God and to have that close, intimate relationship that he desires to have with us. First and foremost, I have to remind you that in order to have a close, intimate relationship with the Lord, we must be his child. That means we have to have come to that place where we realize and recognize we're sinners and estranged from God because of our sin. And where we've realized how God loved us so much, he sent his only begotten son to die for us, that we could be reconciled to him and to realize that Jesus is the only way to become a child of God and to be reconciled to him and accept Jesus Christ as our personal saviour. Jesus said in John 14, 6, For I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And may I remind you, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, that is your greatest need today is to come to him. How can we draw nigh to God? Once we're saved, how can we draw nigh an eye and have an intimate relationship with the Lord? Well, number one, by praying to him. By praying to him. In Luke 18.1, the Bible says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end. The men ought always to pray and not to faint. Do you know that God expects his children to pray to him? Go over to John for just a minute. Or I'm sorry, Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. I want you to notice Jesus here deals with this subject of prayer. He says in verse 5, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. I said, God expects us to pray. And Jesus indicates that in these verses. In verse 5, he says, and when thou prayest. In verse 6, he says the same thing. But thou, when thou prayest. And then in verse 9, go down there. It says, after this manner, therefore, pray ye. Jesus anticipates and expects us to pray. He doesn't say, if you pray. He says, when you pray. And I believe God expects that his children will be a children of prayer and communication with him. And then uh, following there, Jesus teaches us a lot about prayer, and he makes very clear the expectation we'll pray. And he teaches us how to pray. He gives us clear teaching on how he says we're to pray privately. He says there in verse, verse 6, And when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. I believe wholeheartedly that every believer needs a time and a place to get alone with God every day. Now, where, where that place is and what time that is is your decision. I recommend in the morning hours. And, uh, but we need to get alone with God. We need to get somewhere where we're not going to be interrupted, where we can just focus on him, speaking to him, and uh, praying to him. I hope you have that kind of a time in your life. We need to pray. We need to pray humbly. He says in, in verse 5, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. We should pray humbly. We shouldn't be praying to get the praise of men. We shouldn't be praying so that that, uh, people will say what good Christians we are. We need to pray in our prayer closet humbly, not for the praise of others, and then sincerely. Verse 7 And when we pray, when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. We should not use and pray in vain repetition, repetitious prayers. Jesus calls them vain, that means they're empty. What do you mean repetitious prayers? Just saying the same thing over and over. I don't mean to be critical, but I was raised Roman Catholic, so I think I can speak from that position. But I was taught to say the rosary. Ten Hail Marys and one Our Father. Then ten Hail Marys and one Our Father. That is vain repetition. It's saying the same thing over and over and over and really it comes to the place where it means nothing it's just what you're reciting how would you like it if your children spoke to you in vain repetition when they told you they love you can you imagine this your child coming and saying mom or dad or both of you i love 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 you pretty soon it wouldn't mean anything and many persons' prayers mean little to God or nothing to God because it's just vain repetition. And even as believers, we have to be careful that our prayers don't, don't devolve into the vain, repetitious prayers. Now, there's a balance there. I understand, and uh, uh, I know that many days I pray for the same things, but I'm not praying in vain repetition. I'm praying because they're the same burdens, and the same troubles, and the same needs. Our prayers really are not to be vain, repetitious prayers, but conversations with the Lord. We're to talk to God and share the burdens and the, and the problems and things of our heart. Jesus even teaches the structures of prayer. Look at, look at verse 9 and, and following. He says, after this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, many people recite this prayer as a vain repetitious prayer. They just say this prayer over and over and over. Well, that's not what Jesus gave it to us for. He gave it as a model prayer. He gave it it to us to help us to understand how we should pray. And we see the the, the model there. Uh, The first thing we see is praise. He says, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And that's praise to the Father. And then it's to be a submissive prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We ought to pray for God's will to be done in our lives. Not my will, but thy will be done, O Lord. And then intercessory prayer. Give us this day our daily bread, our needs. We're to bring our needs and, and uh, things to the Lord. And then our, our uh, confession. He says, and lead us, or forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We need to confess our sin. Again, the Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and can I add this? I've learned by experience, if, you're a, if you have a serious prayer time, uh, God will bring to your mind those prayers that need to be confessed. Mm-hmm. When you're trying to get a hold of him in prayer, he's going to remind you about what's separating you from him uh, and getting your prayers answered. And then protection in verse 13. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, And that's deliverance there. And then we need to recognize God's sovereignty. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We need to be a people of prayer. Prayer will bring us closer to the Lord. You know, I figured this out a long time ago. You can't be intimate with somebody that you don't communicate with. Hmm? You can know them, but you're not going to be intimate with somebody until you're having communication with them. And God wants us to communicate with him, and the way we communicate is through prayer. We need to spend time with him, fellowshipping with him, sharing our heart with him, and by the way, our prayer time is not only us speaking to Him, it's Him speaking to us as well. Somebody said this there are prayers of praise, petition, and fellowship. We get closer to God when we use all three of them. We need to draw nigh to God and be intimate with God. Number one, by praying to Him. The second way we can be intimate with God is by proving His promises. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1.4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. We have a book here full of God's promises. And there are promises in this book for every need we have. We need to get our nose in the book and find the promises of God. God promises salvation to all who call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. God promises to supply our needs, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God promises uh, that he'll give us the power to do all that he has for us to do. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And there are so many more promises in the word of God that we could claim Uh, You know, God promises never to give us more than we can handle. Now, you're probably like me. There have been many times in my life where I thought, Lord, I think you stepped over that line. I think you've given me more than I can handle, only to find out, no, he hadn't given me more than I can handle. I'm just not handling it the way I ought to. He promises, he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, for there hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful and will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Thank God for that verse. And then he promises to bless those who pay the tithe. Go over to Malachi for just a minute. Just a couple pages back from where we are in Matthew. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi 3. Look at verse 10. God says this, Bring ye all the tithes into my storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. Here we have a promise. God says, those who will be obedient to me in the tithe, I am going to bless Richly and abundantly. He says, I'm going to throw the windows of heaven open and pour the blessings out on you. And I'm going to rebuke the devourer. The devourer is the one who takes away things from us. You know, and he's talking in biblical times. He would make sure their crops came in strong and healthy. He would make sure the vine brought in a good good, uh, production of grapes uh, because they were so important to them at that time. So God can do those things for us, and those are the blessings he brings on us. Listen, I believe when when we're being obedient to him in the tithe, God can make the car run longer. He can can help us to avoid medical bills. He He can help us in different ways if we'll just be obedient to him. So many lack the faith to be obedient, but God wants us to prove his promises. We need to claim his promises uh, and we need, to, we need to understand that his promises are all dependable. None of his promises has ever failed, and they never will. Sometimes we make promises and we fail to keep them, but God is no, never going to fail to keep any promise he's made. Get your nose in the book and uh, learn what those promises are. The more we appropriate his promises, the closer we become with him. The more we claim his promises, the more we learn to trust him and be intimate with him. All intimate relationships are based on trust. And the more we see his promises and see him keeping his promises, the more we learn to trust him and the closer we become with him. So we need to prove his promises. Then we can be intimate with God by praising him. Psalm 113, verse 3 says this, From the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. Go back to Psalm 150. I think we saw this last week, if I'm not mistaken, but it bears seeing again, Psalm 150, how God seals this book of Psalms with the emphasis Psalm 150, praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbal, cymbals. Praise him upon the high sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath Praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. We're to be a people of praise. We're to praise him. Praise pleases the Lord. Over in Psalm 34, David writes, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. God wants us to be a people of praise. In the morning, in the noon, in the evening, all day, Every day, he wants us to praise him, and he wants us to praise him in every situation. I thought about this. It's easy to praise God when things are going well, when everything's hunky-dory. It's when the trials and tribulations come that we find it difficult to praise the Lord, but we're still supposed to praise him. Over in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We're to be a thankful people in every situation, good or bad, positive or negative, joyful or hurtful. We're to praise God. And you know, when we do praise the Lord, it helps us to keep a proper perspective and attitude about our situation. You know, you you can't be praising God and be fault-finding and complaining and discouraged at the same time. When you're praising the Lord, you're not going to be in that kind of a frame of mind where you're complaining and and fault-finding and discouraged. Praise reminds us of God's goodness to us. It makes us focus on what he's done and how he's blessed us. We sing that song, count your blessings, name them one by one. When we we feel like we're discouraged and downhearted, we need to praise the Lord and start counting our blessings. God's far better to us than we deserve. Say that again. God's far better to us than we ever deserve. And when we start praising him, it brings us to that realization that there's much to be thankful for. When we praise him, it causes us to forget about our problems. I made a little note here. When when we praise him, it will make an optimist out of a pessimist. Hmm? Which are you? Are you an optimist or a pessimist? You say, what's the difference? Well, somebody said, An optimist sees the glass as half full, a pessimist sees it as half empty. Do you see the positive side of things or the negative side of things? God wants us to be optimists. He wants us to see the positive side. When we get on the negative side, we'll be like Elijah that we talked about this morning. We'll get discouraged and despondent and not thinking straight. We need to praise him. Praise reminds us of his goodness, and praise makes us love and appreciate God all the more. Our praise draws us closer to him. You know, God God indwells our praise. When we start praising him, we recognize his love and his grace and his mercy to us. We recognize how good he's been to us and how undeserving we are of anything from him. We need to praise him. We need to draw an eye to God. We need to, we need to be intimate with him. And need to do so by practicing his presence. In John 14, Jesus said this, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. We need to realize this. God is always with us. If you're saved here today, the instant you got saved, the Holy Spirit took up residence in your heart and in your life. And he promised, Jesus promised, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So of a necessity, if you're saved, you have him indwelling you. And he will always be with us. He promises that. We need to to learn then that we ought to live like God is with us. Every day, all day. As I thought about this, I thought, I believe a lot of Christians forget or ignore, or maybe just disregard the presence of God in their life. What do you mean? Well, we need to realize God goes wherever we go. And I can't imagine how some Christians can go some of the places they go with the realization that God's going with them. Hmm. How do you go to a casino knowing that God is with you? How do you go to the bar room or the strip club knowing God is with you? Well, preacher, Christians would never do that. Oh, I beg to differ with you. How do you go to the adult bookstore knowing God is with you? I had a man come and confess to me one time he was into pornography going to the adult bookstore. I thought, how in the world does a Christian do stuff like that? Well, he disregards the fact that God is with him. We need to to realize he goes where we go. And we need to realize he hears what we say. Be careful, little lips, what you say. Hmm? God hears every word that proceeds out of our mouth. He hears it when we gossip. Uh Uh-oh. When we're talking bad about other people. He hears us when we use improper language. Well, preacher, Christians don't use that kind of language. Oh, I beg to differ with you. Hmm? Too many of them do. I thank the Lord that one of the things he did as soon as I got saved was he cleaned up my tongue. And he did it. I didn't do it. I didn't set out to do it. But he did it. And I thank him for it. But too many Christians use inappropriate language. Let inappropriate things come out of their mouth. James says, I'll paraphrase. He says, A a, a fountain don't bring forth good water and bad water from the same place. Your mouth don't bring blessing and cursing from the same mouth. By the way, what comes out of your mouth shows what's in your heart. Hmm? We need to realize he hears every word we say. Not just bad language, but how about unkind language? How about words spoken in anger? Hmm? You know, most of the time what you say in anger is going to come back to haunt you. You're going to regret. A soft answer turneth away wrath. Sometimes we just need to be quiet. Hmm? And then we need to realize God goes where we go and he hears what we say, and he sees everything that we do. You can't hide from God. You can turn the lights out. You can close the door and lock it. You can pull the shades. You can do all that to hide from men, but you can't hide from God. He sees everything we do. You know, it seems like some Christians have the idea that they can somehow take God off when they want to go do certain things and then put him back on later. No. No, he sees everything we do. And he's with us 24 hours a day, every day. The Bible says God is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother over in Proverbs eighteen twenty-four. He's with us all the time. He's with us through thick and thin, good and bad. He's with us when we're spiritual and when we're carnal. Now, I'm sure you're, you're such good Christians, so there's never a time when you are carnal. But if perhaps sometime you find yourself being carnal, remember God is still with you. Hmm? We don't deserve it, but he says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. I'm glad we have a, a, a Savior and a Father who's not a fair-weather friend. Not a fickle friend. Have you ever had some of those kind of friends? You know, they're your friends as long as you can do for them and and things are going well, but when things are bad, they disappear. Well, that's not the kind of friend God is. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. We will draw closer to him. We will be intimate with him when we acknowledge his presence in our daily lives. And then finally, we can be intimate with God by participating in his work. Over in John 15 and verse 16, Jesus says this, I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. God expects those who are close to him to participate in his work. And when I say participate, I'm talking about to share in, to join in, to have a hand in, to cooperate in, to get involved in his work. Sharing, doing some things that brings folks close to him. I thought about this. We need to share in, join in, have a hand in, cooperate, and get involved in his work because... When we do that, it builds a common bond when we work together. I remember when we were building this building and we had to do all the work downstairs and we had to put up walls and hang drywall, and put up insulation and and do wiring and plumbing and all all manner of things. But the men of the church came together and we worked together and it gave us a common bond. And when we work together with God, it gives us a common bond and helps us to be be bonded closer to him. God expects those close to him to participate in his work. And then participating helps us to share God's passion. When we get involved in what what God wants us to do, we share his passion. We start taking on his passion. In other words, we, we... We begin to love what God loves. What do you mean? God loves the souls of men. And we start participating in his work. We're going to find ourselves loving the souls of men. Do you love the souls of men? Do you care about them? Do you care about people getting saved? We understand and we know the Bible teaches so clearly that anyone who dies without Christ is going to go go to hell and spend eternity in torment. Do you care when you come across lost people? Do you want to give them a word of witness? Do you want to share a gospel track with them? Do you Mm -hmm. want to see them saved? How many of you have unsaved loved ones? Raise your hand. Do you want to see them saved? Do you really care about them? Do you pray for them? Do you look for opportunities to give a witness for them? Ask God to open the doors. When you you start participating in his work, you're going to learn to love what God loves. You know God loves his church. The Bible says Jesus loved the church and died for it. Do you love your church? Sometimes I I wonder about Christians who who say they love the Lord, and, and they even say they love the church, and then they don't come. Don't make sense to me. If you love the church, don't you want to be there? Don't you want to come around and fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Now, I know it's hard to fellowship with a mask on, but it's not always this way, and Lord willing, it won't always be this way. I can't wait till we don't have to have the mass anymore. Hmm? When we can do away with the social distancing junk. But this is where we are for the time being, but it's not always this way. You know, people say they love the church. They stay away from it. And I often wonder What kind of church would we have if everybody was like them and stayed away? We wouldn't have a church. Do you love your church enough to support it financially? Boy, I'm so very thankful about the folks who have been faithful through all this pandemic to pay the tithe and give the offering above the tithe to support the church. People have mailed in their ties. People have dropped them off. Some people are now bringing them on Sunday, and uh, I thank the Lord for those who have been so faithful. Shows their love for the church. Do you want to get involved in the church? Do you want to do something in the church? And so I don't know what to do. Well, see us. We'll find something for you to do. Hmm. We need to love what he loves. He loves the souls of men. He loves his church. We need to burden, be burdened by what burdens him. And what burdens him is lost people. He, loves, he loved lost people so much he sent his only begotten son to die that they might be saved. That's how much God is burdened about lost people. He has compassion We need to have compassion for whom he has compassion for. Oftentimes, getting involved in another's passion causes us to catch the passion and to share their passion, and it helps us to come closer to the one we share that passion with. I thought about several years ago when we were in Gastonia. Our son Arthur had just come back from from Bible college, and Bill was just uh, in high school. And uh, we realized that we weren't as, I wasn't as close to them as I needed to be. And they had expressed an interest in hunting and shooting rifles and things of that nature. So we got involved in it, all three of us. And I helped them to get rifles, and we went to the shooting range, and we came to Pennsylvania, we hunted together. But we did all that, and it drew us closer because we were sharing a passion, a passion for for hunting and shooting. Listen, when you share a passion, it draws you closer. We need to share the passion of God, the passion for him for lost people, and the passion for him for his church and to love the things that he loves. I wonder this morning, could you say that you're intimate with God? Could you say you have a close relationship with the Lord? Now, I didn't ask if you could say you know him. That's, that's another, another question. But if you claim to know him, are you close to him? He wants you to be. That's why he put in his word that thing that James wrote. If we draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to us. You see, God wants us to have a close, intimate relationship with him. That's his desire. But he don't force it on us. He says, if you'll draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you. Does that, that define you today? If not, I would encourage you. Work at developing that intimate, that close relationship with God that he wants to have with you. Let's bow our heads for just a minute. Do you have a close, intimate relationship with the Lord. This morning, if you believe you really do have a close, intimate relationship with the Lord, would you just slip your hand up? Say, I believe I do, preacher. Put it down. If you could not raise your hand and you say, preacher, I don't have that close, intimate relationship with the Lord. I need to have, but I want to have it. And God's burdened my heart this morning that I would start working at building that kind of a relationship with the Lord. And here's my hand as a testimony. That's my decision today. Would you hold it up high? Hold it up high. God bless you, and God bless you, and God bless you. Father, we thank you that you've invited us to have a close, intimate relationship with you. And I thank you for the folks who have indicated they have that kind of a relationship. I praise you for that. And then I pray for these who have raised their hand and said they haven't had that relationship they want to have. Help them. Help them to build that kind of a relationship with you. We know you're willing if we're willing. And then, of course, I would pray once again for any who are in the sound of my voice who don't know Christ as their Savior, that today would be their day of salvation. If there's never been a time in your life where you've come to Christ, would you come to him today? All one must do to be saved, to be born again, is number one, acknowledge their sinful condition. The Bible says, for all the sin that comes short of the glory of God. And then number two, to realize that there's a penalty for our sin, and that penalty is to suffer in the torments of hell forever, for the wages of sin is death. That's eternal separation from God. And then to realize that God loved us so much, he made a way of salvation. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then realize that God loves us and will save any and all who call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friend, would you call upon him right now, here this morning? Would you do that by offering up a simple prayer like this? Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, I admit it. I know I deserve hell because I'm a sinner, but I call upon you and I ask you to forgive me of my sin and to save me. Come into my heart and give me eternal life, and I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, if you prayed that prayer, we would ask you to let us know, call us, write us a note. We want to rejoice with you. Father, thank you once again for Father's Day. We ask you to bless all the fathers and give them a special day, a day of encouragement. And we pray that you would bless us as we go our separate ways now. Keep us safe from this virus. Help us to come together again tonight for the evening service. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.